Thank you so very much. Good morning. We are now turning in our Bibles to Acts chapter 27, 27 of 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And what we're doing this morning is we're exploring together this, this voyage and shipwreck of the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Moody Bible Atlas tells us that this voyage was roughly 2,250 miles in length. And so we were dealing with something extraordinary here. And people in that time period, they didn't look forward to such travels, you see, because these were not comfortable settings. These ships were anything but uh, the sort of thing that you would find uh, ease and travel in. But God does not necessarily create comfortable settings for us to be comforting to people in their uncomfortable settings which is exactly what's going to happen in this passage this morning. So I'd love for you now to take your Bibles, turn with me as we're going to continue on examining this 27th chapter and the voyage and the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul. Your key verses are going to be found in verse 23 and 24, which deals with the importance to highlight and apply the Word of God to all of your circumstances in life. And so what we are about to look at revolve around that very idea. Beginning now in verse 13, you and I find these words. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore but soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lay of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. And after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. And then, fearing that they would run aground on the Syrtis, they lowered the gear. And thus they were driven along. And since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Now, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete, incurred this injury and loss. But now, yet now, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And for this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God 
to whom I belong and whom I worship. Here's your key moment. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who, who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. And so now, there you have, here's a man who is willing to be able to say, take heart, I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. So embrace the scriptures this morning as you bow to explore life's circumstances. No matter what adversities you face this morning, I want that idea of the word of God now to penetrate your heart and be the ultimate value system of how you handle the challenges that come your way. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. Now, Father, and this is, this is extraordinary. We're awed by not merely the giftedness of the Apostle Paul, his extraordinary ability to explain in theological terms the depths and the breadths of your word, your will. We're also awed by his physical stamina, his capacity, Father, in the most challenging of times, to be able to take his stand among unbelievers, where in their most extreme moments talk about what matters most, who matters most. And so, Father, no matter what it is we are or have experienced in the course of our days, I pray now we're going to be able to take this account of the voyage and the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul look for the implications and then make the applications necessary to apply truth to life. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wheels. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus. Him only. Pray these things to again now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's one of those extraordinary stories you're probably somewhat familiar with about a man who loved Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and in his biography as well as in the autobiography, was able to describe this particular scene. A captain of a ship of which uh, George Mueller of Bristol, England was traveling, was struck by this man's faith. For the captain wrote, we had George Mueller of Bristol on board. I had been on the bridge for 24 hours, exhausted, never left it. And George Mueller came to me and said, Captain, I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. It's impossible, I said. Well then, very well, 
If your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way, Mueller said. I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. Let's go down into the chart room and pray. Now the captain says, I looked at that man, God, and thought to myself, he's a lunatic. I never heard of such a thing. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you know how dense this fog is? I love the response. No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He then knelt down and prayed one of the most simple prayers. And when he had finished, well, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. Sir, as you do not believe that God will answer, and as I believe he has, no need whatever for you to pray about it. I looked at him, and George Mueller then said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years and been on voyage after voyage after voyage. There has never been a single day when I have failed to get an audience with my king. Get up, Captain. Get up. Open the door, and you will see that the fog has lifted. I got up, and the fog indeed was gone. And on that Saturday afternoon, George Mueller kept his promised engagement. While in Caesarea for two years of incarceration, God interrupted his sleep, Paul's sleep breaking into the nighttime hour with these words. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. God has made a promise. There's an engagement to be kept. And so there's a trajectory here where Paul now, over the course of 2,250 miles, in the give and the take, makes his way toward Rome. The astounding thing is that this is no smooth sailing. You would assume that when God makes a promise, God would make it easy for us to experience the fulfillment of that promise. But the contrary. I want you to see here how God uses the storms of life as part and parcel to fulfill the promises of God for your life. So what I want to do this morning now is to draw out four applications that are found here in these verses that I have, I think, direct bearing upon the way in which you and I are to handle adversity when it arises. And keeping in mind that the purpose of all this is to make absolutely certain that we're doing what it is that the Apostle Paul set out to do, represent God in whatever circumstance, even the difficulties of life, we find ourselves in. Now, for that to happen, we're going to have to take a look at a map, don't we? 
And as we look at this map, I want you to be able to see here at this point that the Apostle Paul has made his way southward with 256 other passengers aboard the ship. And as is typical in nautical matters in ancient times, you will travel along the lay of the land, L-E-E. These were typically single-mast ships. And in this particular situation, we are dealing with an agricultural ship as it is taking grains from Alexandria, Egypt, upward to Rome. This captain is determined to be able to get the cargo there, bring the goods there. He owns the ship. Furthermore, he's going to want to be able to make a profit when he's in Rome off of the efforts that he's put in. God's got other plans. What I want to do now with you, as we are seeing, is that somewhere along the way, which shows up in this passage, this ship is about to experience what I'll call turbulent waters. For 14 days, it's rough. And they're going to be without light. And they're going to have to navigate the waters in the midst of the darkness. And they're going to incur loss after loss after loss. Get through it all. They've got a destination that they've got to get to, as to you, as do I. So four apps. I want to draw out four applications here found in these verses. So we're turning to the text, and the first flows out of verse 13 down through verse 16. Then number one, in times of adversity, keep applying God's word even in the midst of sudden reversals. You ever experience a sudden reversal in life? Everything seemed to be going smoothly, almost to the point where you were taking life for granted, assuming that all things were going to continue on as they have continued on. And all of a sudden, your life is interrupted. In verse 13, you and I are told, Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore, typical of ancient vessels in that time period. Now the Apostle Paul had just earlier said to them, as we saw last week in verse 10 of this chapter, says, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. And now, with that in their minds, nonetheless, initial impressions, the captain is right and Paul is wrong. But in the course of the sailings of life, don't assume first impressions are lasting experiences. And so first impression, Paul's wrong, captain's right. So when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor, <coughs> sailed along Crete, close to, close to the shore. There's a particular writer, and I love the chapter he, heading that he utilizes. It's called The Lure of the South Wind. We're commenting upon this. 
he informs us that we read that Paul, a prisoner headed for Rome, warned the centurion of danger, disaster, if they set sail. The man, however, listened to the contrary advice, gave orders for the ship to leave port, and when a gentle south breeze got them off to a favorable start, it looked as if Paul had been wrong. Beware of favorable starts, because life is long, and the journey is challenging, and there will be sudden reversals that you and I have got to prep for in the course of the days of our lives. So now, they are doing what typically ancient ships do. They're hugging the shoreline. They're weighing anchor. They are sailing along Crete, close to the shore. And you're up to verse 14, aren't you? And right away, one of that classic contrast of words in the Bible leaps out of these verses, stares you down. But soon. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. Now let's take a good hard look at that for a second and try to understand what it is that we're dealing with at this point. You see that wording, tempestuous wind? The Greek word here, typhrokos, carries with the idea of typhoon. In other words, what we're dealing with at this point is that there is now resistance. Contrary winds, all of a sudden, what was going in your favor is now going against you. You thought you were heading in one direction, and now everything is going in the opposite direction. You thought you, thought you had wind in your sails, and now the wind is in your face. And you're battling. What is it you're going to have to do to keep functioning in the midst of it all? It's called a, a northeaster. The sailors of that time period dreaded this one. It's the Eurachalon. The Eurachalon, or in our English translations, the northeaster strikes suddenly on the waters. You thought you had smooth sailing when lo and behold you're heading in a certain direction and now you're fighting just to be able to maintain functionality. Is that where you are? Is that where you've been? Everything was going so smoothly and then all of a sudden life broke in and there was a sudden reversal that you can target on your, on, in, in your calendar as you look back over the course of time. And you say, that was a turning point. To this day, I can't quite explain why it is we went through what we went through. But there we have it. Such is life. Well, you're up to verse 15, aren't you? And as you make your way to verse 15, when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, 
We gave, it, gave way to it and were driven along. So now their first precaution was to move along the shoreline of Cod, seek shelter where they could find it. But now they are being pulled out in a direction that they didn't intend to go in waters that they wanted so deeply and so greatly to avoid. Well, we need to take a look now at Calda, get a better sense of what this is all about. If you and I were to explore Crete, what we would find when we explore Crete is that when you make your way upward into the hills, you're going to find a cross that is pivoted in just the strategic place where the north winds, the Eurocolon, circulate, develop, intensify, and then sweep down into the waters below. And so, off of Crete, and now you look at the map, lower section, as the winds sweep in, they make their way into that little harbor, the little island of Cauda. result is, you see now, they no longer can go on their terms. They, we gave way to it. We were being driven along. You ever felt like that in life? All of a sudden, we just simply had to give way to it. Just driven along. Just driven along. Where are you, Lord? Where are you in the midst of the winds of life? But then the psalmist would remind you and remind me, for I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, brings forth the wind from his storehouses. A man who lived in Long Island learned this the hard way. If you see William Manchester in his book, The Glory and the Dream, talks about a particular time where on September 21st of 1938, a hurricane of monstrous proportions descended upon the East Coast. Here's how he puts it. Among the striking stories which later came to light was the experience of a Long Islander who had bought a barometer a few days earlier in a, in a New York store. It arrived in the morning post, September 21st, and to his annoyance, the needle pointed below 29, where the dial read hurricanes and tornadoes. He shook it banged it against the wall. The needle wouldn't budge. Angry, he repacked it, drove to the post office, and mailed it back. And while he was gone, his house blew away. Paul had offered the forecast. Sirs, in verse 10, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. 
And so the natural tendency when you want to play it safe in life is to hug the shorelines of life. And all of a sudden, a northeaster comes along, pulls you out into the waters. You've got a single mast. And now you can't adjust the mast, the sails. You only got one. It's an agricultural ship, you know, from Alexandria. What do you do at this point? You had already taken the first precaution. You had hugged the shoreline. That's no longer an option. So now, you embrace this, don't you? That in times of adversity, keep applying God's word, number one, even in the midst of sudden reversals, because you don't know how sudden reversals will be used by God to achieve his purposes for his glory and for your good, even if you hadn't predicted it. You ready for more? Here's the second application comes out of verse, verses uh, 17 down through verse 19. Then number two, in times of adversity, keep applying God's word, even in the midst of mounting losses. Now, I want you to bear in mind once again and that this captain has got to get his ship to Rome. His livelihood depends on it. There are, there are people aboard. He's got to be protective, concerned for their safety. But now, <coughs> here's what we are told next. Beginning here with verse 17, after having been told in verse 16, we managed with difficulty to, to secure the ship's boat, which pertains to the lifeboat, you see. So now their initial sense of security is gone in the midst of the emergencies of life. Check out verse 17. Still another precaution. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Now, for the sailors in this congregation, this is known as frapping It's the vessel, either by passing cables under the hull, you see, to hold the timbers together, or by lashing the stern and bowl of the deck to prevent it from having the back broken. So they're taking necessary precautions in the midst of the adversities of life, as probably you have in the course of days. As now you look back and you think about the sudden reversals, And furthermore, you're thinking about the mounting losses you experienced. Okay, precaution. They hugged the shoreline. Can't do that anymore. Furthermore, they pulled up the lifeboat, not to be used anymore. Furthermore, the frapping takes place. They support the undergird to undergird the ship. But fear. Fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered, you see, they lowered the gear. Now it speaks about lowering the gear. It's talking about either the mainsail or more than likely the sea anchor. It would act as a break as they would drift onwards. And so now, one by one, it seems as though things are being lost 
and they're taking extreme measures. But now in verse 18, in verse 18, here you and I read, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. Now in jettisoning the cargo at this point, you no longer distinguish between the various wants of life. You're down to, what do I need in life? You distinguish the needs from the wants of life. To put it another way, you distinguish between the essentials and the additionals. Are you able to do that? Because sometimes when adversity strikes, if you haven't been able to prioritize and distinguish essentials from additionals, then you're going to feel the brunt of loss until you realize that wasn't mine to begin with. It was God's. All that was simply temporal management on my part to be able to manage what it is that, that God has given me. And so they jettisoned the cargo, and I can imagine the darkness of it all. Some are wondering, well, I wonder what I just threw overboard. Because you can't see. Stars aren't out. Sun's not out. It's pitch black. And the storms of life just continuously pound the ship. And on the third day, in verse 19, they threw, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And that's... That's the equipment that you need to be able to function. Well, we need once again to be able to get our bearings, don't we? Did you notice that they were worried in verse, in verse 17 that they might run aground on, on the Sirtis when they lowered the gear? This would be for sailors making their way across the Mediterranean their version of the Bermuda Triangle. Now there is a greater Sirtis and there's a lesser Sirtis. And what they are is that shorelines on the tip of Africa, whereby when nor'easters, the Euroclidon, push the ships in this direction. Ships run aground, ships are shattered, Lives are lost, and the stories that otherwise would have been told at the end of the journey are forever forgotten because there's nobody left to tell the story. The Sirtis of life. Where do you go in all this? What do you do in all this? Where do you turn in all this? Well, George Mueller said that there was a promised engagement. He is meant to keep. And through all of this, the Apostle Paul has got to be able to embrace the word of God given to him when God interrupted his sleep in the heart of the night. God ever do that to you? And because God said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Okay, God, if it's your plan for me to get to Rome, then evidently you're going to use even, 
even storms to get me there. But then again, the disciples would have understood that very well, wouldn't they? For you might remember the story where Jesus Christ had, had gotten on, on board the ship with, with some of his disciples. And as they got on board that ship, this was Jesus' idea, not theirs. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, they didn't say to him, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. The boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. But you see, when you have a sense of true sovereignty, you sleep well at night. Because you're not in charge and you don't need to be in charge. God is. They're awake. He's asleep. Incredible contrast. They awoke him. He didn't awaken. Said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Notice that he waited until they were in the storm to address the issue. Isn't that like God? He awoke, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, Peace be still. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. At least the wind and the waters were not with the beating hearts of these disciples. So he said to them, I can almost see now, sleeves rolled up, folds his arms. Why are you so afraid? Dealt with any fear lately? Dealing with the fear, faith, tension of life. Have you no, still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? But then I think about a retired pastor who penned these thoughts. When I was first learning how to sail my father's sailboat out on Lake Michigan, he would often say to me, go ahead, take the boat out, but take a friend with you. In a 42-foot sailboat on a body of water the size of Lake Michigan is a big responsibility, but always up for a challenge. I'd find a high, junior high friend to accompany me. We'd sail past the breakwater, hoist the sails, head out to the open water, but as soon as I'd see any cloud formation coming out our way or the wind seemed to be piping up, I'd head back towards shore, hugging the shore, take the sails down, regain my normal breathing pattern, only when we were safely tied up in the slip. Most of the time it was fun having a friend along, but in a storm I knew this kid wouldn't be much help. Other times, however, my father would come home from work and we'd go out together. And when I was sailing with my father, I'd actually look forward to cloud formations, hope for heavy air. I loved the feel of the strong winds, 
the huge waves. For you see, my father had sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. He endured five days of sailing through a hurricane. He was a veteran, and I was confident that he would be able to handle anything Lake Michigan could throw at us. For you see, everything changes when your father is aboard. Is your father aboard? In times of adversity, keep applying God's word, number one, even in the midst of sudden reversals, 13 through 16. Number two, even in the midst of mounting losses, even the cargo gets thrown aboard. Business, profits, loss, 17 through 19. But now thirdly, even in the midst of abandoned hopes, even in the midst of abandoned hopes, Because now what you find summarized by Luke the physician in just one verse, verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, total blackness, darkness. No small tempest lay on us. The physician now looks around and says this. All hope of our being saved was at last Abandoned. Let's take a look at this picture. This is a depiction of this very scene. Now notice that the grains had to be already thrown overboard at this point. Because when the grains become saturated, they they provide added weight. So that's gone. (coughs) Profit's gone. Now the very ship itself could be shattered. These sailors who were so skilled, but they would try hard to make sure they stayed by the shoreline, find themselves now in the Eurocladon. Where do you go from here? The apostle Paul, Luke the physician, they look at one another and most likely say, this looks hopeless to them. But there is hope for us. God made a promise, you see. He'll see us through. And if you're going through difficult times, God's made a promise. He'll see you through. It's not what life does to us. It's what life reveals about us. Shackleton understood that, again, referencing Shackleton. 1914, crew of 30 set out to traverse the Antarctic. Before they could reach the frozen continent, the ship got stuck in the ice after time demolished. For almost 18 months, Shackleton and his men had to endure incredible hostile conditions while they waited for rescue. And they were rescued. And looking back on the experience, Shackleton wrote, In memories we were rich. We had pierced the veneer of outside things. We had suffered, starved, triumphed, groveled, 
down and yet grasped that glory, grown bigger in the bigness of the whole, for we had seen God in his splendors, heard the text that nature renders, and then I mock these words. We had reached the naked soul of humanity. It's when now you're formally and fully exposed to the elements of life that now people are exposed to your faith and who it is that you put your faith, your trust in. For you see, you've got a living hope when everybody else, it's an abandoned hope. So you look around, and so you're continuously applying God's word, even in the midst of sudden reversals, 13 through 16, in the midst of the mounting losses, 17 through 19. If you're looking for support, emotional support, you're not getting it. Even in the midst of abandoned hopes, they feel so utterly helpless. But now fourthly, even in the midst of troubled hearts, Jesus would say, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So you're up to verse 21, the fourth application in this exposition. And since they had been without food for a long time, maybe the food's gone bad, maybe there's seasickness, they forgot their dramamine. Result is now, it's they, you just don't want to eat. You look for your strategic moments to be able to make a statement that will have lasting implications. A man has joy in an apt answer. How delightful is a timely word the writer of Proverbs chapter 15, 23 penned. Paul now stands up among them. I'm sure the ship's rocking back and forth, but he's standing. He looks at them and says, Men, you should have listened to me. Sounds like my parents. They're looking down from heaven right now. Gary, you should have listened to us. You ever hear that from your parents in your life journey? You should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete. You should have taken harbor there and cured this injury loss. Yet now, you see how contemporary he is, how timely this is. I urge you to take heart. This will be the first of two times he will make this statement, take heart. And some of us this morning who have abandoned hope need to re-engage, take heart. This morning, if you're looking at a situation that at the surface looks hopeless, you've got a living hope. And sometimes you're going to have to allow people to go through the extremes of life so that then they will finally listen. And now he's got a listening audience. I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And now the captain winces. This is my ship. 
But then he now gives us insight into the word of God, which you need to do when you're dealing with people who are going through such extraordinarily extreme circumstances. Maybe they've made bad decisions. Now they're out at sea. All looks dark. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, of the God to whom I love this. I belong, whom I belong. That's his testimony. This is a polytheistic political system. Many gods in the Roman pantheon. They trusted in in Neptune, among others, to be able to be the god of the sea. But he is trusting in the exclusive sovereign god who raised Jesus from the grave and whom I worship. And then he said this, do not be afraid, Paul. He's quoting what the messenger from God had to say. You must stand before Caesar, reiterating the promise given in a prior time. And behold, God has granted y'all, those who sail with you. So for a second time, re-emphasis says, Take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, not as I believe. There's something of higher significance. It's what God has said. The results in what you believe. And then he gets practical. But we must run aground on some island. I love the story of a little boy floating his boat on a pond. The boat drifted away. A man came by, saw the boat drifting out of the pond, began throwing stones on the far side of the boat. And the boy asked, What are you doing? But then something interesting happened. If you see, as the stones hit the water beyond the boat, they created ripples, which pushed the boat back toward the boy. And even though the stones disturbed the smooth water, they achieved the desired result. And it could very well be this morning you are looking at a situation where there there is disturbed waters, take heart. He says it again, take heart. It could very well be that the storm is necessary to bring that boat to where it belongs. Let's stand together. There is purpose when you disturb the status quo. There's purpose when you break into the gentle southern breeze. And before we even realize it, there is a sudden reversal. There's mounting losses. Those around us are abandoning hope. We're standing in the midst of troubled hearts. But then Jesus breaks in. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The one who could sleep in the storm has words for storm victims. So this morning, Father, no matter what we're going through, 
no matter what we face in these last days. You're there. You're in the midst of the storm. You don't take us around the storm. You take us through the storm. And as a result, you get us to where we need to be. You fulfill your promise and your purpose, even if it entails storms, to get us to where we need to be. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.